millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Laura Slattery and on today's show, consumer sentiment has understandably taken a deep knock in 2020. But does that mean our Christmas spending will be subdued this year? Amid calls for those who can afford to spend to support the economy through the crisis, we'll be looking at why consumers might be either keen to treat themselves are nervous about doing so, and how advertisers are responding to the fragile mood. And later, we'll be talking to Prunchia Somani about what stock markets expect from next Tuesday's US presidential election, and which outcome investors might prefer. But first, consumer sentiment tumbled again in October, with the outlook for household finances and jobs waning even ahead of the government's decision to move to level five. So what happens next? Will the reopening of shops coincide with a bounce in confidence and release of pent-up demand, or will the gloom linger? I'm joined by Austin Hughes, Chief Economist of KBC Bank Ireland, and Charlie Stoney, Chief Executive of the Institute of Advertising Practitioners in Ireland, better known as IAPI. Austin, I'll come to you first. The Consumer Sentiment Index published by KBC Bank Ireland, it's been reflecting the shock and fear that most of us have felt this year. But what does the latest survey tell us about how we're feeling? The October drop in consumer sentiment certainly isn't a surprise. Uh, Irish consumers are particularly nervous about the outlook for jobs uh, and for incomes over the coming year. And, of course, the uncertainty around the pandemic is like nothing they've ever faced before. So it's not surprising, but it does warn us that perhaps consumers who are able to spend will be less willing to spend. Now, I do think we're already seeing a bounce back in consumer spending. Certainly, we've seen very strong retail sales numbers since the first lockdown eased. And the September numbers show really dramatic increases, you know, furniture sales up 30 percent, electrical sales up 30 percent. We're seeing in general consumer spending at retailers up by 90 percent since the low point in April. But I don't think that's going to last. I think what consumer sentiment is telling us 
is that consumers are acutely aware of the downside risks to their income and employment prospects, and they will be very wary about spending. So consumer spending will be down, but I don't think we should rule it entirely out. I do think we will see a Christmas bounce. So in, I think in September, you described the pattern of, of sentiment as being a bit of a, a zigzag um, since March, but um, obviously it was down again in October and that was ahead of the move to level five. Would you expect it to sink lower uh, in November before rising maybe by the end of the year? I think we're going to see consumer sentiment certainly fall sharply in November, probably because people are concerned about the impact of restrictions. And of course, we're seeing a global increase, a renewed surge in the virus. Uh, The reality, of course, is that the current lapse in confidence in Ireland isn't unique to this country. Consumers are probably seeing a more significant pullback in sentiment and confidence because we've been through a crisis relatively recently. Many people are still scarred financially, psychologically from the last crisis. And we know what happens when things can be awful. So to that extent, sentiment is poorer here than maybe in other countries. But it has to be emphasised that government support measures mean that there isn't the same sort of collapse in spending power that we've seen in previous, you know, really sharp downturns. So there is still that spending power there, but there is obviously, you know, reluctance maybe on the part of, of some consumers to really um, go mad at the moment because they don't know what's going to happen next year. Yeah, I, I think, remember, the spending power is there for now, but of course, these government supports are temporary. And what we saw in the last crisis was concerns around the housing market develop in 2007, 2008. But bottom really wasn't hit in terms of the economy until 2010, 2011, jobs 2012. So there's a sense that consumers may feel they have the spending power now, but perhaps it won't be there next year. And that's the reality. It's not a case that consumers feel that November is going to be awful for them. It's more a case of 2021 and maybe 2022 being a lot poorer than they previously envisaged. Coming to you now, Charlie, um, when I was talking to advertisers just earlier this month, they reported the mood as bullish, at least compared to March. But is that still the feeling now? Do you think we've moved into a second lockdown or, you know, has there uh, been a kind of a note of of negativity creeping back in? Um, Hi, Laura. Um, Lovely to be here. Thanks. Thanks for this. Um, I think to answer your question, I think the first week um, after the announcement, I think everyone was in a state of, oh, God, here we go again, Um, you know, because obviously advertisers, you know, we're all consumers, we're all part of the Irish population. And then um, having talked to, you know, my uh, 55-odd agency members and a lot of clients and marketeers over the last few weeks, couple of weeks, there seems to be an acknowledgement that... um, Whilst at the very beginning there was there was a sort of pullback from spending and a pullback from from any brand positioning, I think the lessons learned over the first lockdown period was that if your brand isn't communicating um, and it isn't communicating in the right way, that you are losing um, you're losing the race and you're losing out to competitors. And I think we've learned a hell of a lot over the last few months agencies and client marketeers have worked really closely together to produce some extraordinary consumer-facing 
I suppose what I would call um, societal campaigns, for want of a better word. And I don't just mean the ads that talked about unprecedented times, because I think we saw one more of those by the end of March. I think we might have thrown the telly out the window. But just the the kind of sheer insights that we've been able to derive and the amount and the volume of research that we've seen. And, you know, members like MCCP, Core Research, Dentsu Research, the other big media groups, OMG and, and, and IPG, um, and then the likes of, you know, Folk, Wonderman, Thompson over here, relying on their network to bring um, insights from around the world, BBDO doing the same, and then, you know, Rothko and Accenture providing that as well through their network. I think we've got a really good handle on what generally consumers and, and the population need. Um, I think probably the most solid piece of research done um, in, the, in the last two, two to three weeks has been done by Core Research when they looked at how people were going to spend around Christmas and their Christmas expectations. Um, and I think overall, I think the spend is actually um, relatively consistent with last year, or at least the planned spend is, which is really interesting. And that was taken in the last few weeks. So some of it was post the level five restrictions. Now, the big talking point at the moment is, have we handed Christmas to Amazon? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and I think, I think not the, that, you know, I'm dissing multinationals because obviously Ireland has done incredibly well by them. But what we've also got to consider is, is the huge online, um, I suppose, ask of Irish consumers to support online Irish retailers. Um, and that is the big debate going on at the moment. You know, have we handed Christmas over to the international online retailers because frugality is definitely there, you know, um, and people will be looking for bargains. And and my gut and my opinion probably is that the Irish retail support Ireland is going to be taken up by those with more money, um, the, the middle classes and, and the sort of older generation. Um, and it wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all support Irish retailers? But then again, what is an Irish online retailer? Just by putting a .ie at the end of it doesn't mean it's creating jobs and helping people within the island of Ireland, as you know too well. So that, that's a dilemma facing everybody. But certainly, the average Christmas budget, according to this core research, is about 1350 And um, the average budget for gifts is, about, is just over 200 so it, it's quite telling and it's looking quite buoyant. And do you think advertisers will sense that there is an appetite amongst consumers to, to treat themselves in perhaps one of the few ways that they can this year? You know, there's very few uh, holidays or, or travel of any kind, really. But, you know, you can buy, you know, a new TV um, for, for your home. There's a lot of in-home purchases. Is that something that they can, you know, uh, target a little bit? Or, you know, is there, still, is there sort of a sensitivity about doing that? I think so. I mean, I think, I think young, young adults, so under 40 with, with um, few or no children, will spend the least, which is actually probably the cohort that do the most traveling um, and the most sort of high-end purchases. So they're not looking to necessarily spend this Christmas. 
But then when you look at the spending pattern over over what we call Black Friday, which has probably turned into that whole of the last week in November, um, the the expectation is that people will spend very highly during that purchase. Now, traditionally, Black Friday was all about self-gifting. So that's that cohort you're talking about. And what we're predicting now is that, yes, there will still be an element of self-gifting um, and treating. So we'll probably see a spike there. But but we're assuming that Black Friday will be treated as a Christmas shop too. So gifting for others um, will come into play very much there. Um, the, the most likely items bought will be the sort of smaller, the books, the gifts, the entertainment items. Um, whereas, you know, obviously the household goods, the groceries, the alcohol is, is, is looking to be bought whilst in store. I mean, assuming everything's going to get back online. There's no doubt Christmas is earlier this year. I mean, all you had to do was look at the queues um, for, for the, the, the big shopping centers all around the country when we thought, when we assumed level five um, would be announced by the government that weekend. I can't remember the date now. It seems to <laughs> seems to be on the one hand months ago and on the other hand yesterday. But um, but yeah, I mean, people people are definitely stocking up for Christmas early this year. Yeah, I mean, there is a kind of a, a, a sense, isn't there, that um, perhaps the when the pent up demand is released, it might compensate at least in part for the period um, where you know where the the, the non essential shops are are closed. I suppose it'll be interesting to see if that can be even even managed to come December. The issue with that, Laura, and, and I'll just say one shout out to local retailers here that they are perceived by consumers as the most trusted um, in this whole myriad of 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 retailers, and and even more trusted than you know. Um, Things like the sort of the, the, the banks and the, and the big online grocery stores. So, what would be wonderful to see is a massive pent-up spend that will happen locally um, when the the, the um, level five restrictions are lifted. And of course, like advertisers will often, you know, make the point that at times when there are higher levels of marketing investment by advertisers, it itself spurs on consumer spending. Does that hold true, do you think, maybe for this crisis? Or is it just that we've never encountered this this sort of situation before? Oh, definitely it holds true. Um, I mean, I think if you if you look at, you know, some of the winners um, who've been advertising um, consistently and very well, um, but in the right way. So I think when you look at um, what Three Islands have done, if you look at what On Post have done, um, if you look at, you know, Vodafone again, another mobile company, if you look at Lidl and, and, and even Tesco, that they're all consistently advertising with emotion and with entertainment very authentically um, in the way that everybody always should advertise. And, and I guess, you know, running for me, seeing this industry come alive during this um, crisis has almost has been so uh, rewarding because creativity has never been better in this country. And um, I'm not saying that it, it wasn't good before, but I think we as an industry excel when we are looked to by our clients to, I suppose, dig them out or help them with a the problem. And I think we have turned things around for the vast majority of, of businesses here albeit, you know, there are exceptions like, you know, the beleaguered travel and hospitality industry that there's really very little we can do about. 
um, except for provide those online experiences and turn them into virtual experiences, um, which is becoming more and more important for everybody, really, um, as we look to 2021 and see no real respite from the yo-yoing of restriction and, you know, lifting of restrictions and then restrictions again. I think we'll see this happen throughout 2021, and in my opinion. I'm sorry, that is prefaced with my opinion. <laughs> Austin, just on that point that Charlie makes about, you know, the the, the potential for further lockdowns, is that would that have a kind of a, a fatal blow to the consumer mood, do you think? Is there a sense of, you know, this time the gloom is bad enough, but if this keeps on happening, it, it might never recover? Fatal may be too strong a word, but I, I do think it can permanently depress probably the the growth path for consumer spending the the reality as we were saying is that you know spending power hasn't been dented at the macro level of course you know for individuals running businesses or who've lost jobs it they, they've suffered a huge hit in many instances, but at the macro level, government supports have kept spending power in place. So it's more a case of whether these start to be unwound. The reality, of course, is if you remember back to the previous crisis, the housing downturn was the first step, but the other shoe to drop was the austerity element. And that's the concern that people already probably have, that they're wondering, well, when will there be a, a nasty payback, a bill that will come in a year's time that will see higher income taxes, less income uh, growth? out of this. So I do think there there's the scope for spending to remain reasonably solid in the short in the short term. There undoubtedly is an element of pent-up demand and we're seeing also people nesting and paying more attention to their home, it's it's furnishings, it's hardware, it's those sort of elements. I do think there will also be a little bit of care about conspicuous consumption. People will be probably wary of spending something that is demonstrably sort of lavish. But, you know, you should have a decent Christmas this time round. The real worry that people have is that coupled with maybe Brexit concerns, you know, when we get to the payback for the, this current pandemic, that things then will take on a different sort of light. And it's in those circumstances where the idea of rolling lockdowns become even more troublesome. We can get through this, you know, a once-off sort of adjustment. But I think if we're looking at this through 2021 as a regular feature of economic and social life, then it becomes much more difficult to stay the course, both in terms of spending power and probably in terms of the resolve. So both the ability and the willingness to spend could be much more severely dented then if we don't have measures that mean that the virus is no longer the threat it appears at the moment. And when people sometimes say on, you know, radio shows or, or TV that people who can spend should spend, that, it, that it's the patriotic thing to do, that it helps out retailers, that if they, they can help out small Irish retailers by finding their websites even during this period of lockdown, does that have a, is that have a, ever had a proven effect that, you know, go and spend and then people do? I can answer that actually because um, well, I know MCCP uh, are doing focus groups on a on a weekly basis and have done since the beginning and, and what they're saying at the moment because of 
the list that actually the Irish Times issued about the top Irish um, online retailers, and then it kept, became 200. And I think it's now at, I don't know the number, but I think it's over 300 now, isn't it? Um, but, but, but what the, their research is showing is that there is a groundswell to support more local businesses across all the uh, age cohorts, and those are Irish businesses. Um, they, they do need to balance, you know, getting kids what they want to make up for a different Christmas. You know, so families with younger Santa age kids will probably go go abroad, but not abroad, but, but, but go onto international sites and get the best bargain. But they really want to support the the Irish um, and plan and, and 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 buy meaningful gifts that in a more I suppose um, mindful way um, than before. What consumers are dreading is any ads that talk about lockdown, COVID, ram home, the, the situation we're in, what they're looking for is entertainment because they want Christmas to be a reprieve. Um, so that's, that, that's their view of Christmas ads potentially, um, potentially turning them off. Austin, do you want to come in on that? Yeah, I do think that the ads have the scope to influence where people spend their money and maybe when the particular time they spend their money. I'm not so sure that it's how much they spend. I think people are still looking to the the, the uncertainty around the pandemic, around the potential bill that comes up later on. So I think that will make people more cautious. This idea of what Keynes back, you know, uh, nearly a hundred years ago talked the paradox of thrift still remains a very important element that consumers are wary. It is a case, I do think Christmas will be a break because I think there is that sense, as Charlie has said, that, you know, people will want this sort of, at some stage, the gloom to lift and this little break. And it really goes back to the very ancient idea of this midwinter festival that we, we celebrate, this idea that we need some relief from the gloom. And I do think that will come towards solid spending this year. I think the risks are more around the viability of business and the, the trajectory of spending through 2021. Okay, well, I know uh, coming up to Christmas, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to some self-gifting, whether that's uh, sensible or not, I'm not sure. But um, thanks very much for now. Austin Hughes from KBC Bank Ireland and Charlie Stoney from IAPI. Thank you. Coming up, Trump versus Biden, the Wall Street view. At Davy, we know your well-being should be financial as well as personal. And now when it's a little more challenging, if you're in a position where you have a pension, it's never been more important to get active. So talk to one of our trusted advisors now and we can help you find a solution for your pension needs. A solution that could help you feel better about your financial future. Let's start the conversation. Call us today or search Davy. Davy, it's not just business, it's personal. Janey Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. Now, with six days to go until the US election, Joe Biden is ahead of Donald Trump in the polls, and he's also the bookies' favourite. But how would the so-called blue wave victory go down on global stock markets? Here to discuss this is Pruncius O'Mahony, who writes the Stock Take column for the Irish Times every Tuesday. Hello, Pruncius. Hi, Laura. So, Trump or Biden, who would the markets like to see? Uh, well, I think what markets are most concerned about at the moment is the idea of a, a contested election. 
because Trump has obviously been making various noises about uh, not accepting the result. And uh, that kind of talk has made investors very nervous. The latest um, Bank of America Merrill Lynch monthly fund manager survey found that uh, 74% thought that the idea of a contested election was the biggest risk. Now, 14% thought that uh, a blue wave was the biggest risk. Uh, So clearly, the contested election is very much what's on investors' minds. Uh, In relation to what is investors' preferences, um, there was a recent UBS survey which found that in America, people are pretty much split 50-50. Uh, big investors. Outside of America, global investors appear to have a preference for Joe Biden. And then there was also a Price Waterhouse uh, survey, which found that um, executives were worried that uh, the Democrats would raise taxes, but they believed Trump then would be worse on US-China relations, immigration, foreign policy. So basically what's happened is that uh, Investors appear to have become more comfortable over time with the idea of a blue wave. I mean, you might recall last year now there was a, a lot of talk that that the Democrats were kind of had become more left leaning, and a lot of big investors were nervous. We'll say when Elizabeth Warren was doing well in the polls, and then this year, of course, Bernie Sanders was the one stage the front runner. Now, what was tending to happen there was that the better Sanders was doing in the polls, the more stock markets were actually rising. Because essentially, they didn't believe that Sanders was uh, had much chance of winning. So they thought that if Sanders became the nominee, that um, a Trump victory was much more likely. Do you know? So as a result, as I say, there was this kind of constant chatter that uh, that the Democrats, that Trump was good for stocks and the Democrats not so good for stocks. But that narrative has, has very much changed recently, where uh, Goldman Sachs and other investment banks have been talking about the the positive implications that might come from a blue wave, um, in particular, the idea of a substantial fiscal stimulus and uh, a two to three dollar trillion dollar fiscal uh, package. Um, there's also, you know, like say Moody's Analytics have estimated that Biden's uh, economic proposals would create about seven million more jobs than Trump's. Now, what's kind of interesting about that is that um, Moody's economist is a uh, Mark Zandi, who advised the Republican candidate, John McCain, in the 2008 election. So the fact that um, economists like Zandi want the Democrats to not only win the presidency, but both houses of Congress, shows that uh, the old fears about a blue wave have well and truly disappeared. And I think the consensus is at this stage that uh, markets would probably welcome um, a blue wave. Um, If, on the other hand... Biden wins the election, but the Republicans retain control over the Senate, then the Democrats would obviously find it much more difficult to to get through uh, their fiscal stimulus package. But with both candidates, investors would see kind of pros and cons to both. I mean, investors like the idea of tax cuts and deregulation with Trump. They're not too keen, obviously, on his impulsivity, and uh, they're keen on and uh, as I say, the idea of fiscal stimulus from the Democrats. It's a kind of a situation where, the, you know, the last thing they want, as you, as you say, is, is an impasse of any kind, whether that's uh, Donald Trump uh, sitting in the White House whilst a, a legal case uh, takes place over the outcome of the election, or an impasse on the fate of the fiscal stimulus. It does seem on a day-to-day basis at the moment that uh, progress or a lack of progress on the fiscal stimulus is what's moving 
um, markets in, in, in the US in particular. Is there kind of a sense that, you know, something will happen there eventually? There will be some fiscal stimulus, you know, regardless of whether it's a Biden or Trump victory? Yeah, I think you can assume, I think you can assume that because Trump himself has made lots of noises about, you know, being in favour of a, a $2 trillion fiscal stimulus package. So uh, you would have to assume that, you know, eventually some sort of package is going to get through. But obviously, if the Democrats retain, or if they, if they gain a majority in Congress and the Senate, as well as the presidency, then that becomes much more likely. And of course, I mean, just over, you know, longer term period, um, you, you mentioned it also there that, you know, Trump's uh, trade uh, war with China um, those tensions have been sort of hanging over stock markets for for years now. Um, there is a sense maybe that you know, although although investors wouldn't traditionally be fans of 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 the of the left, that that Donald Trump's uh, politics uh, don't necessarily completely suit them either. No, there's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, as I say, everyone sees Trump as, as very impulsive, and you know, executives aren't keen on his. Uh, and the anti-democratic soundings coming from him. Um, I mean, many investors, I think it's fair to say, would view Trump as a bit of a, a dangerous fool, but they were keen enough maybe to, when they were getting the lower corporate tax rates and the like from him. But certainly on a, on a day-to-day basis, um, Trump is, is, is not a conventional politician and not a, a conventional president. Uh, Investors would very much know what they're getting with someone like Joe Biden, whereas there's always the chance for, I think, greater kind of geopolitical tensions and the like with Trump. Now, as I say, markets have learned to ignore a lot of the tweeting over the last four years. You know, there's there's something every week with him. But um, at this stage, I think most analysts appear to be, you know, preferring the idea of uh, stability under Biden rather than four more years of Trump. In a way, he's the sensible uh, conservative uh, choice rather than the, the, the sort of the, the, the renegade <laughs> president. Uh, well, even besides that, uh, traditionally stocks over the last century have actually done better under Democrat administrations. There's a kind of perception that the Republicans are pro-business and better for stock markets. So as a result, markets tend to react negatively and immediately after election result if the Democrats win. But... Um, you know, over the long term, as I say, the returns have actually been better under the Democrat administrations. Now, correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation there, because all kinds of things can can influence how stocks do under a particular administration. As a general rule, when stocks are cheap, long-term returns tend to be um, better. And when stocks are expensive, long-term returns tend to be worse. So, you know, Stock markets did very poorly under George Bush, George W. Bush's eight years. But you could argue that the main reason for that was that stocks were extremely expensive following the dot-com bubble in the late 90s. Similarly, when Obama took over, um, markets had just suffered a major financial crash, etc. So stocks were cheaper than they had been for generations. So um, there's actually, you can very much argue that while we're talking about it at the moment, that the impact of who wins the presidency isn't really that crucial. It, it, it seems crucial at this time of year, but uh, for long-term investors, um, you know, most advisors would say, look, tune it out and don't worry about the, the day-to-day movements. Um, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, 
stock markets, um, they're not, a president's impact on the stock markets isn't as great as uh, investors sometimes might think. I mean, this time four years ago, um, investors like like everybody else, you know, we, they were surprised uh, by Donald Trump's victory. Do you think this time, you know, is there a capacity for surprise at the at the result, or or do they think it's pretty? Um, are they keeping an open mind? Is what I'm trying to say about about I the think outcome. They are keeping an open mind. I think the polls have consistently shown a very strong lead for for Biden. Now, if you look at the polling expert Nate Silver, his 538 website, he estimates Biden's chances of winning the Electoral College to be 89%. Uh, the Economist has a model which gives Biden a 96% chance. Whereas if you look at betting odds, then they're not nearly as certain. They're estimating Biden's chances of victory at about 65%. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. I think people are suspicious of the polls because Hillary ex- Hillary Clinton was widely expected to win in 2016, and as we all know, she didn't. Um, but that said, I think I think there's a danger that that you could that investors might now be maybe a bit too cautious about the polls. Like for one thing, the polls the polls weren't as wrong in 2016 as people sometimes think. They predicted that uh, Hillary Clinton at the very end they were predicting that she was ahead by about three percent. Now, she did win the popular vote by 3 million votes, so it was by about 2%. There were some, some polling failures in some of the state polls, but, um, but the pollsters have tried to correct for that. And as I say, Biden's lead has been much more stable than Hillary Clinton's lead was at this time in 2016. Like at this time in 2016, uh, there was kind of some mo- momentum towards Trump and then you might recall that the FBI announced that investigation to Hillary Clinton's emails, and you know that resulted in more momentum for Biden. Uh, it's tightened a little bit recently, but uh, the average poll has Biden ahead by eight percent. Now, at one stage, it was eleven percent, but eight percent is still a very sizable lead. So, Hillary Clinton's lead, as I say, Hillary Clinton wasn't ever popular with at least half of America. Biden is perceived as a more likable politician. And uh, I would be more inclined to side with, we'll say, Nate Silver's view that the Biden victory is is extremely likely, as opposed to a lot of people are still putting putting money on Trump and thinking, well, the polls are wrong in 2016. They're probably wrong again. But um, like in 2016, something unlikely happened. Just because something unlikely happened in 2016 doesn't mean that something unlikely automatically happens in 2020. So I think markets have been a bit reluctant to fully price in a Biden victory. But um, there's, as a result, if you do get a Biden victory, you could see um, a certain movement in stock markets. But um, as I say, I think uh, a Biden victory is... It looks very likely right now, so we'll have to wait and see. But uh, it's certainly looking good for Biden at the moment. On that cliffhanger, thanks very much, Prancius. That's it for this week's Inside Business. My thanks again to Austin Hughes, Charlie Stoney and Prancius O'Mahony. Today's podcast was produced by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. We'll be back next Wednesday. And until then, thanks for listening.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 